Let's turn to that third chapter of Second Corinthians and just see the words that I read to you earlier this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 3. The Lord Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, some things he did not know. In John 3, 6, Jesus said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That gives us two natures if you've been born again. If you're born again, you have two natures, and those two natures are at war against each other every day of your life. Jesus Christ has delivered us from the final consequence of that war, and He'll take us to heaven where we'll fight no more, because we will be incorruptible, glorified forever without that sin nature. We are at war every moment of our lives until He changes us in the last day, or until we die and get to shed this body and its sinful flesh and go to heaven. We might fantasize, we might think about fighting Philistines, an easy opponent. We might think about fighting Mormons, heretical enemies of the truth, uh, again, an easy opponent. Many churches get distracted with fighting politics, so we might think that our enemy are the Democrats. But we've got an enemy closer to home, and it's inside of each of us. Right. And it's our old man, it's our sin nature. Last week, we saw the New Testament's plain emphasis and wonderful listings and description of the character traits and the conduct that prove whether we are God's elect or not. Today, I want to go sort of and take a, a tangent off that subject and look at the fact that a child of God does have a struggle with sin in his life. And that struggle with sin should not discourage a child of God thinking he's not elect. If he's got a real struggle with sin in his life, he can be thankful that he is a child of God or he wouldn't have that struggle. To be vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked like Lot was, was evidence that Lot was a just man. Because unjust men aren't vexed by what the world does around them. They cheer them on and get excited about living among them. Corinthian believers, as I'm about to show you, were the epistle of Paul and Christ, and it's what we want to be. Look at the first three verses again, beginning at the first verse. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, 2 Corinthians 3, 1, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You Corinthians are dear to us, and everyone knows the effect we've had upon your church. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, served by the apostle, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. The evidence of Paul's apostolic authority was the Corinthian church itself. And let that be true of us. Let us be an epistle, a letter, an apostolic letter that manifestly, that means very clearly, declares what we are, the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be like these Corinthians. And if you read the two epistles, as I said earlier, I think we can surpass them. We better. 
they had so many heresies at the church and so much internal fighting and strife. Look at that 18th verse. In the same chapter, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we see Jesus Christ clearly, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We don't have a veil covering us like Moses did when he came down from Mount Sinai. So we can see Jesus Christ clearly and we ought to grow from glory to glory, closer and closer to that image. And how can we do it? By the power of the Spirit of the Lord that is within us. All believers should be striving to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.18 tells us that. Peter had already said in 1 Peter chapter 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may... Grow thereby. We want to grow. But we have a struggle going on inside of us because we have an old nature that does not want us to grow nor change nor live righteously. And so we make war against that nature to do those things that are pleasing to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told plainly what we are by nature. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first three verses. Jesus told Nicodemus, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We have two natures. One from our first birth. One from our second birth. Birth to earthly parents giving you a birth certificate and a birthday mean that you have a fleshly existence. And that fleshly existence is more than your skin, hair, and fingernails. That fleshly existence is a nature related to Adam that hates the things of God and cheerfully follows the devil and the wicked course of this world. Look at these verses. We know them well. Ephesians 2.1 And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is what you are by your natural birth to your first parents. Every one of us has this nature. We are dead in trespasses and sins. While we are alive, we're dead. We're physically alive, but our internal desires and affections are dead toward God. They are alive toward sin and the world and the devil. And we used to walk in that course of a life. We followed the devil himself, who in this passage is called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that motivates the children of disobedience. We had our conversation right along with them, fulfilling all of our lusts. Whatever we wanted to do, that's what we did do. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh, our bodies, and of the mind, our pride. And we were by nature the children of wrath. We were waiting for God's wrath because that's where we were headed for such a wicked lifestyle. That's what you have by your first birth. The Bible tells us, 
that the wicked through the pride of his countenance, and we used this last Sunday as an evidence of how you can know you're elect. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. That's what we are by nature. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God, and he found none. He didn't find a single one. They are altogether gone out of the way. They have altogether become filthy. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, since you're close at hand, and see what Gentiles have lived like and how we lived like them as well. By this first nature we have, by our first birth. Ephesians 4.17 This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That is Paul's assessment of Gentiles. It's not very rosy. It's not very nice. But it's true. This is how Gentiles live. And Paul's telling the Ephesians, don't you live like that anymore. Henceforth, be different. And he goes on to say, Ye have not so learned Christ in the very next verse. That is not how Christians live. And he's going to describe the new man, the old man. We'll come back to it in a few minutes to look at those following verses. The Apostle Paul would write Titus and say that we all, we together, were sometimes foolish, deceitful, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's the Apostle Paul and Titus describing their wicked, depraved old man by their first birth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There is no means that you can use to deliver yourself from this predicament. Your old nature is corrupt that way and you can't improve it, nor can any other man improve it for you. The fact that some people live a higher class life than others and a more civilized life and they may appear a little more polished in public, that doesn't say a thing about the nature that's inside of them. The pride still rages, the anger and the bitterness, the emulations and the idolatry, the witchcraft and the adulteries, the lies and the seditions are all the same. You may pretty up the outside, but you haven't changed the nature. Because from your first birth, you still have that nature. In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 2, it tells us, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Our first birth gave us a nature that has no interest in the things of God. When we hear the things of God in that nature alone, it's foolishness. No one wants to be, you don't want to be around it when you're in that nature. You cannot receive those things. You cannot appreciate them. You cannot discern them because they're spiritually discerned and you have no spiritual capacity. You have no spiritual ability 
toward God because you're depraved and only want the things of sin in the world rather than the things of God and life. That's our old man. We're, we're well acquainted with him. I hope you know that you have inside you that old man. Every sin that has ever been committed on this planet by men, you are easily capable of committing through that old man if God ever withdrew his restraints. There is no goodness in you that keeps you back from those things. It is God's restraint. Your nature is just like anyone else's nature. God makes a choice on who he restrains and who he hardens. Let's look at the spiritual man because Jesus told Nicodemus that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when we are born again the second time and we believe that that is the work of God independent of us, we do not believe that our old man cooperates with the spirit of God in order to be born again. If anyone tells you you need to believe on Jesus in order to be born again, ask them, which of my natures believes on Jesus? Because the old nature would never believe on Jesus. The old nature does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14. They're foolishness to him. He cannot discern them because they're spiritually discerned. If they say, well, it's the new nature that believes on Jesus, you can say, thank you. Amen. That's what we believe. That God regenerates us first and gives us that new nature. Then we hear the gospel and believe it. But before that, we cannot see, hear, understand, nor will we obey any preaching of the gospel without that blessing of a new nature. That is so true. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 10, Isaiah said, You can take a wicked man out of a wicked environment and put him in a good environment, but he'll not learn righteousness. There are so many people that think we're all the products of our environment. We're the products of our nature. Isaiah 26, 10. I want to just, I'm just going to read it to you. Let favor be showed to the wicked. Yet will he not learn righteousness? In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. He has no interest in the majesty of the Lord, no matter how favorably you treat him. You can go to the other side of the world and take a great big dump truck full of food and you can spill it in the middle of the village and you can show all the favor you want to, show them how to wear clothes, put them in school, give them an education, show them a little bit of civility, but you will not teach them righteousness because you have not altered their nature. They cannot and will not learn uprightness. Uprightness being what God defines as being right. You may, able to, you may be able to get them to say a pledge to the flag, the American flag, the Christian flag, or the flag to the Bible. But you're not going to get a change of nature. Even if a man were to come back from the dead, Jesus said it wouldn't do any good. That is powerful. There is no evangelistic method that can work on a natural man. We want to look at our new man. Verse 15 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That is the new man. Verse 14 is the old man, the natural man, by his first birth. Verses 15 and 16 are the new man by a spiritual birth. 
He's able to judge all spiritual things. He hears them. He understands them. He wants them. He delights in them by his new nature. Yet he himself is judged of no man. Do you know what? This change that takes place is so much on the inside, the world can't detect when it takes place, except by its outward actions when we become an epistle of Jesus Christ, ministered by the Word of God. Now we have two natures. We're born again. God has chosen by his sovereign will to regenerate us. He elected us in eternity past. Jesus died for us on the cross to pay the legal penalty necessary for us to go to heaven. During our lifetimes, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and regenerates us. Regenerate means to cause you to be born again. A generation. When you generate a child, you give birth to a child. When you regenerate a child, that means he's being born again. So we're born the second time by the Spirit of God. That's the Lord's choice of words. So that we have a new nature within us that's spiritual. It can judge spiritual things. It loves spiritual truth. It loves God. It hates sin. And so we have these two natures now. And we have a spirit that is our individuality and the ability to make choices. But we have these two new men that we can put one off and put one on. We'll see more about that in just a moment as we look at the conflict. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. The power of God is so great in our lives to give us that second nature. We want to see it. The power of God was great in your first birth. Amen. Your conception and the, the giving of a soul and a spirit to what your parents conceived in your mother's womb is a great thing in and of itself. But consider taking that depraved child of the devil and giving him a new nature. Here's what the apostle wants you to know about the power that it took. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, Paul is in the midst of a prayer. That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And here we go. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. It took the same exercise of power on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God himself to regenerate us and give us a new nature as it did to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and get him into heaven at the right hand of God. That's how much power it took to give us a new nature. And Paul's prayer for these Ephesian saints was that they would appreciate that power. Now he talks about quickening the Lord Jesus Christ and raising him from death, physical death, and into heaven. And he takes up in 2-1, and you hath he quickened. See, God raised Jesus Christ's body from the dead, and God raised us by giving us a new nature that loves God. If God did not give us that nature, we would never think about God. We would love sin and we would wallow in it. We would follow the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. We would be just like the children of wrath. There'd be no difference. There is no difference in us except the mighty grace of God that has regenerated us, causing us to be born again and giving us that new nature. All of grace. 
it's such a wonderful comparison here that God raised up Jesus Christ's body and he also raised up our spirits by giving us a new nature. And you hath he quickened. And he's raised us up together to sit together in this vital relationship with Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 10 of chapter 2 puts it this way. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Do you know God has done some work in you? By your first work, by your first birth, he did some work on you. What I look at, what I look at is what God did in his first work of giving you your first birth. But what's inside of you is another workmanship. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He made us physically through our first birth, and through our second birth we are created again with a new man on the inside. Now we have two natures. We have an old man and a new man. The old man's the sinful one we got from our first birth. The new man is the spiritual one we got from our second birth of God. The old man loves sin and hates God. The new man loves God and hates sin. We've got them both. And sitting there on the throne of our lives is your individual spirit and soul. I, myself. I, myself, as the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, knows that he has a principle and a nature of sin inside him, and he calls it the law of sin and death that is in his members. He also knows that he has an inward man inside him that wants to do what is right. And he has chosen to follow what is right, but he finds a conflict all the time because he has an old nature that wants to pull him down in sin. Before I get to that conflict, though, can I read one more verse? What have we just seen? God has made us again. Or you wouldn't believe a thing about the gospel. Jesus told the Jews that even if a man were to come back from the dead, he could not influence a natural man to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God has to change him first. Then we hear the gospel and we rejoice in it. Let me tell you again, because repetition is how you learn. The preaching of the gospel is the savour of death unto death to those that perish. It is the savour of life unto life to those that are saved. The preaching of the gospel is never the savour of death unto life. The preaching of the gospel is not how God gives life. God gives life, then the preaching comes, and the preaching proves that you already have life. That is 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 17. I can't save your children, nor can you save your children, nor will a flannel graph story purchased from some little program on the Internet save your children. The God of heaven can save your children. If you want to call upon someone to save your children, don't pick up the telephone and don't dial a number on your television screen. Call upon the God of heaven. He can change your children. He can regenerate them and give them a new nature that will totally change them. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Our new nature. Paul said in Ephesians 1 that he wanted the Ephesian saints to understand that it took the same power to give them that new nature as it did to raise Jesus from the dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told it's called a quickening from a state of death, and it's called a new creation, where we're His workmanship. 
God had to reach down and work on us. And that work on us was not an, an attempt. It was not an invitation. It was creative work because it's called a new creation in that verse. He created us anew on the inside with a new nature. And if he hadn't done that, you wouldn't have an inter- a real interest in the spiritual things of the Bible or Jesus Christ at all. Praise God for that work. What a change God made in us. When we give our testimony, our testimony should be what foolish, wicked, deceitful, deceived, malicious, envious, hateful people we are by nature. But God gave us a new nature. And it's by that nature we believe the gospel. And we are still struggling with sin, but we are looking forward to, by hope, to the liberty of the children of God when the final phase of adoption takes place, when we shall be redeemed from this body. This body shall be redeemed itself. Look at Second Peter, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. How did you get faith? You decided to have some? You got faith because God gave it to you through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of the world today preaches, you need to have faith. Hey, you, old man, would you like to become a new man today? Then let that old man show us some faith, and God will make you righteous. But Second Peter 1 says, God makes us righteous through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that's how we obtain faith, because God gives it to us. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. God making us His by regeneration is the basis for faith. That's how. That's what changes us. Thank God. I'll tell you something. Salvation is of the Lord, and there will be no praise given to any other being in heaven but God Himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. He started the work of salvation, and He finished the work of salvation. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. No preacher, no organist, nor you are the author, finisher, or helper of your faith. It is by the obedience of one that we are made righteous. And that obedient one is the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now that verse makes sense after you think on verse 1, doesn't it? Grace and peace be multiplied to you through that knowledge that we just talked about. Now, but now look at this. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God gave you faith through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then by His divine power, the divine power of regeneration, He put in that new nature all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have everything you need to live a godly life. And you have everything you need to partake of the divine nature. And that does not mean that we are little gods. It means that we have a nature that is like God morally. 
We, it is a nature that is holy and righteous and true and virtuous and noble. It's all of those things. We don't partake of the nature of God in the way of omniscience or omnipotence or things like that, but we partake of it in the way of morality because we have a new nature that partakes of His nature. I can explain it better if I would cheat and use verses that we're going to get to in a second. We have a new nature that is created in righteousness and true holiness. Right. Be partakers of the divine nature. By what power? Divine power. Divine power. Rick Warren says that the first rule to grow your church, he's had over 100,000 pastors at Saddleback Community Church. I hope no one's offended by me using a name. But Rick Warren, the number one rule for growing your church and having a church like mine, he's told over 100,000 pastors, rule one, turn the music up until you are uncomfortable. Turn the music volume up until it's way too loud for you. That's rule one. Because you've got to reach a generation that you don't understand and you turn the music up. That's human power. That's amplifier power. That's electrical power. Do you know what changes your nature? Divine power. Divine power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for exercising that power toward us. Now we've got a conflict. You're in your life. You are in your life as the spirit of your being, your individual person. And you've got these two natures. The old one that hates God and loves sin. The new one that loves God and hates sin. Did I say that right? The old nature that loves, that hates God and loves sin. The new nature that loves God and hates sin. I hope I got it right that time. Let's look at Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul describes this conflict. And this is Christianity. So many churches get waylaid by being distracted of feeding poor nations. You know, that isn't the conflict God's called us to, to end world hunger. Others get all caught up in solving world illiteracy. If we can get everyone literate, then we've accomplished something for God. That's not in the Bible. What's in the Bible is this conflict we have inside. And this is the war we have to fight every day of our lives. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims in this world. That you need to oppose the lust that war against your soul. That's what we want to talk about today. That's what we want to learn today. And that's what we want to walk out of here today committed to do better. And that is to fight a good fight of faith on the inside by putting off the old man, putting on the new man, and living for Jesus Christ so that we are a manifestly declared epistle of him to the whole world, known and read of all men. Let that be true of each of us, and let that be true of all of us. Known and read of all men, that we are changed by divine power. If we're marginal Christians, they'll never know it. We need to be zealous Christians by putting on that new man. You have everything for life and godliness inside you. You are a partaker of the divine nature by the divine power of God. You are His workmanship. And when God does some work, it is good and it is very good. There is no insufficiency in the part of what He's done for you. The insufficiency is your slothfulness. Your negligence. How well you're focused this very second or whether you're distracted by things around you. 
you are a marginal, worthless Christian. Because this is, these are precious few minutes that we have. There are 168 hours in a week. And we must use the few minutes we have to remind ourselves from God's Word so that we can be strengthened and quickened by His Word so that we can walk in the way of His precepts and commandments and be that living epistle. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. And by our death in the waters of baptism, we're no longer under the bondage of the law, but we are freed into the liberty of the New Testament. So we start at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, But sin that dwelleth in me, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Very briefly, because we have more passages. Very briefly. This passage is not teaching that the Apostle Paul, nor you, should live in sin on a regular basis and think you're going to heaven. This passage is telling us that the Apostle Paul could not live like he wanted to. Paul would have loved to have lived a perfect life. But he constantly found that evil was present with him. And it polluted him. And sometimes it pulled him into thinking wrong thoughts, saying wrong things. But that was not his ambition to live. And whenever that happened, he hated what happened. And if you hate what happens in your life, then you're a born-again child of God because otherwise you wouldn't have that there. If you hate anything that offends God, then that's there because of a new man that hates it. The Apostle Paul is describing three different things in this passage. He is describing himself. I myself is how he describes it in verse, verse 25 is where he says, I myself. But all the way through this passage, when he's talking about I, he's talking about his spirit that is able to choose to live by his new man or his old man. When he talks about I, he says, I know in verse 18 that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I've got this principle to will to do the things of God that please him. But I've also got evil with me. Now to have something with you means that you are separate from it. 
Paul's spirit is engaged in understanding, I have this will that's present with me to always do what is right, but I have sin that sometimes gets the advantage of me. And I hate this sin nature that pulls me down. Sometimes it gets me to do things that I hate and that I did not want to do. So he concludes by saying, it's not really, it's not really me choosing that. It's, it gets a hold of me sometimes because I myself do not want to sin. I have chosen to live by this new man and this spirit that God's given me along with me. And so he says, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? I can't live perfectly. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do not go to Romans 7 to think that that's justifying a carnal Christian experience, that you're just living for the devil all the time and that you're a child of God. That's not what his purpose is. His purpose is twofold in Romans 7. First of all, to show that the law is good. And his point is on that subject, he said the law is good because I want to do it. The fact that I don't do it is confirming that the law is good because I want to do it. I'm confirming that the law is good. You, you Jews that are among the Roman readers, don't think that I'm just flushing the law of Moses down the tubes. I'm not. It has its place. It shows us the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And I confirm that it's good by wanting to keep it and being angry when I don't keep it because it's sin that makes me break it. This is the struggle of a man with two natures. And it is going to take Jesus Christ paying for the sins of that old nature and delivering us from that old nature when he glorifies our bodies and takes us to heaven. Do you remember? In the eternal phase of salvation, we are saved from the plan of sin. At the cross, we're saved from the penalty of sin. In regeneration, we're saved from the power of sin. In conversion... We're saved from the practice of sin. What's coming, brethren? Listen to these words. We're going to be saved from the presence of sin. Thank you, Lord. Paul describes what it's like to be a Christian. I want to keep the law of God. And I have made up my, I've purposed in my heart the last sentence of this chapter. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. I choose that I'm going to live by this new nature, and I keep the law of God. And with the flesh, the law of sin. Sometimes I get pulled into sin. Sometimes I get pulled into sin by my old nature, but it's my old nature that's doing it, not me, because I do not want to live that way. I want to live by the new man. When that old nature pulls me into sin, now I'm relying on the rest of the New Testament, I confess my sins and He is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and I repent of it and I turn once again to the Spirit. And I live by the law of my mind, my inward man. He uses all these terms to describe His new nature. It is our holy duty, it is our blessed privilege to have this battle. God chose it for us. When He regenerated us, He could have killed the old man. He could have eliminated the old man. When he regenerated us, he could have taken us straight to heaven. God chose to leave us here in this condition. And when it's wisely received, it helps you appreciate heaven. It helps you appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ. It helps you appreciate what it's going to be like to be free from the presence of sin. God could have done it different ways, but he left us in this condition. It forces us to rely upon him. It forces us to beg God for strength. It forces us to pray like Psalm 119. My soul cleaveth to the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. 
you think Paul walked in the flesh or walked in the spirit? He walked in the spirit every day of his life. He did not walk in the flesh. But did the flesh ever get a hold of him and grab him and pull him down? Yeah, temporarily. But all that we can read about Paul's life, he, wa- he finished his course, he fought a good fight, he kept the faith. He walked in the spirit. Sometimes sin would get a hold of him. But do you know how clear he was in Romans 7? It, it is evil that is present with me. It is not I. I chose to walk in the spirit, but I've got this body of death still chained to me. Who's going to deliver me from it? He, he would have shed it right then. You know, a carnal Christian that's living in sin doesn't want to even shed his old man. He's actually deriving some pleasure, temporary pleasure from it. It's a different attitude than Paul described. Galatians chapter 5. Let me read a lengthy passage to you again. Please follow along. These are not my words. These are the words of the living God. These are the words of the Holy Spirit to us. These are the words written down by the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to start at verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Here's the conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. The flesh is referring to that old man. The Spirit is referring to our new man, enabled and led by the Spirit of God Himself. And they strive against each other. They fight against each other because they are totally contrary to each other. Our old man, our flesh, nature loves sin and hates God. The new man, by the Spirit of God, loves God and hates sin. So it says in the last part of verse 17, Ye cannot do the things that ye would. That is not teaching us that you cannot live righteously. You just cannot live righteously perfectly. Because sin will pull you down from time to time and grab you. Neither can you live in sin freely by the flesh because the Spirit will not allow you to be free about it. 
Because in 1 John chapter 3, it says a man that's born again has a seed remaining in him. That seed is his new man. And that new man will not let you be comfortable living in sin. A born again child of God trying to live in sin is the most miserable of all men. Because he's not pleasing his new man. Because he's trying to live in sin. And he can't please his old man. Because the new man won't let him be content doing it. Oh, brethren, this is the conflict. Lot made a choice. Lot made a choice based on monetary advantage by taking his flocks and herds to the well-watered plains of the Jordan River. But the well-watered plains of the Jordan River led toward a city named Sodom. He made a choice by his old man. For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and pitched his tent there toward Sodom in the plains of Jordan. He ended up in the city. But in the city, where he had to read the newspaper every day, and every neighbor talked about the wickedness of that city, Second Peter chapter 2 tells us he was vexed. Vexed means to be in soul pain. Right. He was vexed every day with the wicked conversation of the inhabitants of Sodom. He grieved over being in that place. But he had made too big of a commitment. We do not know the details. We do not know if he brought up moving his family out of that city and his five daughters were against it, or his wife was against it, or all six of them conspired against him, or the three son-in-laws were against it, so there was nine against one. We are not told, but we do know where it all started with. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. He made a choice by his old man instead of by his new man. He moved into the city. He joined city council. He let his three, three of his daughters marry boys from that city. He let them go to the public school system and marry those kids. And it ruined his whole life. But we're told that the new man would not let him be at peace in that city. He was vexed every day. Would to God he had listened to that new man and said, I don't know how many of you are coming with me, but I'm leaving this city of Sodom. I am moving out. Abraham can have this side of the territory. I'm getting as far away from here as I can. And that's what every godly man will do in here for himself, for his wife, and for his children, and for his grandchildren. He will not be like Lot and pitch his tent toward Sodom. He will put up every protection and barrier that he can to protect the, what the new man is calling for. Right. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. Those 17 sins that I read to you in verses 19 through 21, every one of us is capable of committing every one of them. Right. It's only by the grace of God that you don't. Yeah. How do you walk in the spirit and how do you crucify the flesh and the lust thereof? You read those 17 things. You learn what they are. You learn what television programs have them, books, magazines, and newspapers have them. You learn what friends of yours believe and do these things. And you cut off all those avenues. All those inputs into your life because you say to yourself, I, myself, will not serve the law of sin that is in my flesh and my members. Those 17 things are out. The nine things in verses 22 and 23 of the Spirit of God, those nine things are in, and we can revel in them, we can wallow in them, because there's no law against them. I can have as much as I want of love, joy, peace. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord wants you to know you can have as much as you want. Do you know what He said to Adam? Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. 
But of one tree, don't touch it. I mean, don't eat of it. These 17 things we shouldn't touch. We should avoid every avenue that they even approach our lives. And we should choose the nine things that's walking in the Spirit. Because we're born again, we're living in the Spirit. That means we have the Spirit of God in us, seeking to lead us through our new man. To walk in that Spirit, we choose to do the things that the Spirit of God loves. And these are the nine things listed here. That's walking in the Spirit. There's nothing about speaking in tongues, getting a baptism of the Holy Spirit, or anything like that in the passage. This passage is very practical and very plain. We crucify by putting to death all those 17 things. And any input they have into our life, we don't even make a provision for them. We want to get as far away as we can. Oh, don't make a choice like Lot. Do you know what the Bible says about those who make choices like that? How about a choice like this in 1 Timothy chapter 6? They that will be rich fall into many foolish and hurtful snares which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some men have coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Does that sound like Lot? It sounds like Lot. So we're always making choices for the new man. New man, what do you have to say? Okay. It's always going to be in agreement with the Bible. The new man's never going to tell you anything not in agreement with the Bible. So the more we read the Bible, the more educated we get to know what the new man's thinking. And we, should, we make those choices. The cure is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's the next verse after Romans 7. But then it describes those who have no condemnation. How does it describe them? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's an elect child of God, because they're the only ones that would walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. This is Christianity. Amen. Christianity is not, I want you to have a financial breakthrough this year. In the year 2008, I want you to have a financial breakthrough. If you'll sow a seed into this ministry, you can reap a harvest. God wants you to have a harvest. He lives for you to have a harvest. He is waiting to pour money into your coffers. If you'll just sow a seed with this ministry. That's one brand of Christianity. Then there's one. God's given us a job to do. And that's to take the gospel to the whole wide world. We want to get a track printed and put in the hands of every single person. That's our purpose. That's our, that's our, that's our business policy. That's our mantra. That's our need. That's our goal. But when we read the New Testament, what is the purpose of Christianity? What is its goal? What is real Christianity? It is fighting against the lust of our flesh. Amen. It is a battle that we take on every day. Now, I've, I've pretty much ignored the devil today because that's a second foe. Because we've got a big enough foe on the inside. We take on our flesh. Then we take on the devil with the complete armor of God in Ephesians 6. And then we take on the world by not being a friend with it. We have all three enemies to fight, and that is what the New Testament emphasizes. There isn't a single sentence in an epistle of the Apostle Paul to any Gentile church, nor is there a single sentence in any epistle by Peter to a Jewish church about keeping the Great Commission. The Apostles did a great job of the Commission. 
We will, we will tell the truth. We will share the truth. We will speak of all God's wondrous works to those that ask us or to any that we meet that look like they have a spiritual interest in the things of Christ. But that is not our first ambition. Our first ambition is to live a holy life that is pleasing to God. And here we go. In Ephesians chapter 4, I've already read to you verses 17 through 19 about the lifestyle of the Gentiles. But verse 20, here's to us. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. If you've really heard the true gospel, here's the effect. Here's what you should do. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That old way of living that is in verses 17 through 19, you put that off and the old man that caused you to do those things according to the deceitful lusts that that old man lives by. This will be fun. You'll enjoy this. This is fun. This is pleasure. It's a deceitful lust. You, you give in to that lust, and all of a sudden you find out on the other side that your sin was hateful. It's a deceiver. Sin always deceives. It tells you it's going to be fun. It never tells you about the death and hell just on the other side of the curtain. Verse 23, you put off all that. You put off that old man and the old way of living and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This, there's three parties here. You be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The way you approach life, get rid of the old lifestyle and the old man and put on the new one. Renew your outlook and the way you look at life. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then it goes on to describe what it's like to live in the new man. You don't lie anymore. You work hard. You don't get angry anymore. You settle all your differences before the sun goes down. You don't steal. You don't have corrupt communication. You don't call people's names. You forgive everyone. You have no bitterness, no wrath. I'm all the way down to verse 31. You don't have any anger. You don't clamor. You don't speak evil about anyone. You have no malice. You're kind. You're tender-hearted. You forbear one another. You forgive one another as God's forgiven us. How do you do all that? By making a choice, by being renewed in your mind, I am not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to oppose it with all my might. I'm going to crucify my flesh. I will not listen to it. I will not associate with people that do it. I'm going to associate with the God's righteous saints, and I'm going to live a righteous life. And I'm going to put these things on. This is Christianity. Every one of you that are getting baptized, this is what you're getting baptized for. To say, I'm going to live like that the rest of my life. I'm going to bury my old man under the waters, and my new man is going to rise up to walk in newness of life. That's what you're saying. And you have been told that a few times. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Don't worry, I only get one shot at you today, and it's a quarter two. Just give me a couple more minutes. Colossians 3. I like, I like Colossians and Ephesians are fraternal twins. They're two epistles very much alike, and some of their chapters and verses and phrases are almost identical. And we're going, to re, we're going to see about the old man, the new man here in Colossians 3, but there's a little bit of different wording. In Ephesians 4, it was the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's picking up from 2.10, where it said we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
What, do we, what workmanship do we have inside? You have a new man created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. When God says true holiness, do you know what that means? True holiness, in his opinion, in your new man. If you put him on and live the way that he, he chooses, to, he wants to live and loves to live according to the word of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But, but now ye also put off all these. Put these things off out of your life. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man, watch these words, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Who created him? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We have a nature that is like the Lord Jesus Christ's righteous and holy nature, and we can live a righteous and holy life that is an epistle of Jesus Christ that can be read and known of all men if we'll put him on and live like him. It gave us a list in verses 8 and 9 of things to put off. Now it says to put things on. It says in verse 12, as the holy and beloved elect of God to put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing and forgiving one another. Many of the same words from Ephesians chapter 4. Why is it in the Bible twice? Because the Holy Spirit lost count of where he had written it? Because it's there for emphasis. Because this is Christianity. This is a Christian life. Putting off all that conduct. We don't want to hear about it. We don't want to taste it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to speak about it. We don't want to joke about it. We don't want friends that do those things. We want to talk about these things. We want friends that do these things. We want to feed ourselves this lifestyle by putting on the new man. This is what God has called us to do. Do you know what it's in Philippians? The other little epistle right there, close at hand. You can find it very easily. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, my beloved. Philippians 2.12. This is a wherefore based on the fact that Jesus Christ is exalted in heaven and we shall all bow our knee before him. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That ability and that nature that wants to choose God and his things, God worked it in us. But we are to work it out. And we're to work it out with fear and trembling. It takes effort. Last Sunday I told you we are to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. And to put off all that, get rid of all that, and to put on the new man. That's what we want to do. We want to work out our salvation that God worked in us. Because we have to will. You know what Paul said? To will is present with me. But how to perform that which I desire I find not. See, he's, descri- he's got this will, but he's also got a lack of strength. Do you know what Jesus said to the apostles when he found them sleeping? He said the Spirit is... Willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is causing you to sleep. I know you wanted to stay awake, but you just couldn't keep the eyelids up, could you? 
Has that ever happened to you when you've been praying? Or reading your Bible? To will is present with me. I know what I want to do, but my flesh gets the better part of me. Your flesh is very easily used by the devil because your flesh hates Bible reading. But we're to work it out with fear and trembling. We're to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't even give your flesh an opportunity to sin. Stay away. That's why I keep saying, stay away from those who do those things. Stay away from any of those influences. Don't allow any inputs into your life. Don't go where that sin can be committed. Go to where righteousness is done. Be around those that live righteously. This is the choice. Romans thirteen fourteen says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't even give it an opening. Don't give it an opportunity because it'll take it. Paul said, I keep my body under lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That doesn't mean Paul didn't sin. Paul just didn't let sin reign in his members. He ruled them. The commitment of faith. When we say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I will live my life in obedience to Him, and He is my only hope of eternal life. The commitment of faith is our belief. For Jesus Christ to save us from the body of our death and to repent from our sins. The commitment of baptism figuratively shows the burial of our old man to rise with our new man to walk in a new life. The commitment of church membership is our covenant and promise together to love and serve one another, to help each other put on that new man, put off that old man, so that we are ready when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and that we can be a living epistle known and read of all men. The commitment of warfare is what we're to do every day of our lives, is to take up our armor and to fight this fight that I've talked about today. We put off that lifestyle and we put on a Christian lifestyle. And we make that choice inside because God's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And by divine power, He's given us a new man created in righteousness and true holiness. And we are able to please God. And we work out that salvation with fear and trembling. This is the Christian religion. This is how we love, please, and serve Jesus Christ. If you do these things as an individual, and if we do these things as a church, we shall be an epistle manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, known and read of all men. That is my desire for you as an individual person. That is my desire for the whole church. It's my desire for me. It's my desire for my family. That we would be a manifest declaration of an epistle of Jesus Christ. Everyone can see it. That we operate by a different set of principles than they do. And those principles are the principles of the new man. Created in the image of him that created him. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ. We have three getting baptized today. Who are going to put off the old man and put on the new. They've been doing that. But they're making their public declaration to God that they're going to do that. For the rest of us, I hope that we'll be very conscious that we should be doing the same thing. I hope we have been doing it, but I hope that because of considering God's Word today, we'll do it with even more zeal. And may God bless us to work out that salvation with all our might. Because He's worked in us even to be partakers of the divine nature. Lord, help us to be an epistle of Jesus Christ, known and read of all men.